You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Where Does the Teacher Lead? Recorded on September the 18th, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. What an absolute privilege it is to uh, be here with you to worship God. Uh, to, to have been lost uh, and without God in my life, and then one day come into the family of God and find the joy there, uh, it's never lost on me on a Sunday, no matter where I am, what a privilege it is to be with people who love God and uh, celebrate his word, which is so good. Um, uh, now, with that said, sometimes uh, it's better than others. I, I had the chance to be at a conference recently. Um, and, uh, and at this conference with some other Christians, uh, every, every single day there was some really uh, good music so we could sing along and worship uh, and, and prayer time. But during the teaching time, there, most of the teaching consisted of um, visions and words from God that the leaders received in their prayer time that they'd bring to us. And then they would encourage us to have visions and words from God ourselves, which we could discuss throughout the afternoon and try to apply to our lives. And this was every, every day. And um, I don't know if everyone there was comfortable with that. I don't know what you'd say if you're not. Um, but I wasn't. Because by the end of the week, what I realized was we weren't looking in the Bible to hear what that said. In fact, on the last day, one of the leaders got up and said, on the first day, I shared with you a vision I had from the Lord, a word he gave me that said he wants to give us joy. And if you haven't found your joy yet, meet with me at four o'clock today and we'll pray that you get your joy. And as much as I want everyone to have joy, and as exciting as it is to think God is telling me you can have joy, um, what we were doing was we were examining closely the words that another Christian told us she heard from God, rather than taking the actual word of God that we know he said and examining that. And that's a problem. And it's rampant within Christianity. Can I even point out that uh, anytime someone says God says something, you've got to be very careful. Very careful. One of the most popular books today in the Christian world is Jesus Calling. And I've read a little of that and see that the woman who writes that seems to be a godly, good Christian woman saying nice things. But I think she's been a very dangerous ground by saying she prayed and Jesus told her this, let me tell you this. And now you read it as if Jesus is talking to you. I'm not saying there's no place for God doing miraculous communication with humans. He's God, and I expect him to do as he pleases. But that is not the normal way, and not only that, that's not verifiable. And, and, and people like direct messages. We like specialized knowledge. I want to get up every day and hear God say to me, Mike, here's the three things I'm going to need you to focus on today, and watch out. You know, sometimes I like them to say, when you're at this particular intersection, a car's going to be coming, and you're not going to be watching for it, but I'm warning you, you know, give me some hints to get through my day. But he 
doesn't as a norm. I am not saying he never would. I am not saying that, that the Holy Spirit cannot speak, give a vision, uh, give a prophetic uh, message to someone as he chooses. What I am saying is, often in our desire for something new, we will get off track and leave the Bible itself. Look for a moment what Paul instructed Timothy in his second letter, um, which is not our text for today. We're in the first letter. But he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So he points them to the Bible. Timothy. You know, if you're an associate of Paul who got to hear from God face to face, who received all kinds of prophecies, you'd think Paul would say, make sure you get lots of those. He doesn't. He says, remember the, acquaint- the, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. These words will make you wise. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We must not neglect God's primary means for teaching us, which is the Bible itself, and what he has to say in it. Because we want something novel and new, or we think something personal and novel is going to be more powerful in our lives. It won't be more powerful. How can you get more powerful than being made complete? From This is not a new thing. From the very, the, it's very important as a Christian, you understand that, that there was not a golden age of the church. I think uh, many times I've heard Christians say, I wish we could be like the church in Acts. In the book of Acts, I want to be like that church. Oh, so you would like us to have a situation where some widows who do not have enough food don't get enough food because they're not Jewish enough? Would you like that? Because that happened in the church of Acts. They fought over that. Maybe we could have a big church fight over it. That'd be fun. I mean, the, the, the point is the church has never had a golden age. The golden age is coming. Doc, the church has always had um, uh, attacks from without, And we've needed to fight to keep on the right track with teachings from within. And so this is what is the very first concern in Paul's letter to Timothy. It's the very, he gives one in verse one and two. He's like, hi, how you doing? I'm Paul. And he goes through all that. But the very first thing he hits in verse three is certain teachers. So let's read verse three to seven together and, and look at it a little more closely. As I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Very first thing he hits them with. Nor to devote themselves to, see, so watch out for different doctrine, which implies a not different doctrine. Nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. By contrast, he gives verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into, away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. 
I want to make two observations about the text before we uh, try to apply it. One, Timothy understands uh, what teachings make up normal church instruction. Paul doesn't say, Timothy, remember, these are the things we're supposed to teach. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he starts with, there are people teaching other doctrines. Doctrine is, is a religious word we use. It just means a teaching, right? <laughs> There's people teaching other things. Stop them. Tell them don't do that. But that means that the content of the Bible, the doctrines or teachings of the Bible, that we should know, can be known, and are known to Timothy. They are also known to us. We have the Bible. We have the New Testament, which is the teaching of the apostles, which sheds light on the entire Bible. We know what we're supposed to teach. There is nothing new under the sun. I, I work very hard to be clear, coherent, make sense. Um, and, and I'm always going to work at that so that I can say something interesting to you, that I can keep your attention, that, it, it, that if you do pay attention, you'll be glad you did. You don't go, well, that wasted my time. And I might even be very creative. But, you, but I want to be very, I, I, I hope this isn't at all disappointing. I have nothing new to say. There's nothing new under the sun. The content that Paul preached 2,000 years ago. Don't you have anything fresh? No. I have nothing fresh, nothing new. But trust me, this will be good enough to get you through 90 years of life if God gives that to you. This will be enough. And it'll be enough to delight you, to inform you, to keep you, to comfort you, to challenge you, to cause you to repent, to cause you to grow, to give you overwhelming visions of God and joy. It'll be enough, but I got nothing novel to give you. Timothy understood what the teaching was, and we need to too. I need to. You better hope I do. If I don't, you need to get someone else. Second observation is bad teaching leads to a different destination than right teaching. It, uh, this is not that profound. I'm just observing how he uses traveling language. Teachers are going somewhere. A teacher is going somewhere, and in this traveling language, you're following that person. Teachers take you someplace. It matters. Leading, he says, he'll lead... These people are teaching different doctrines and they're leading into speculation and and vain discussions. He even says they are swerving away from the truth. I got the truth right there. Whoa, turn, follow me this way. And they're actually leaving the truth behind. Hey, wait, aren't we supposed to go there? No, it's shiny over there. You can't, don't let people take you to the wrong destination. There is a right destination, and that, that was, he said in, the, in verse 5, he says, the aim of our charge is love. The aim, the, there, there's somewhere we're going to. You and me, Timothy, Paul is saying, we're going to take them to love. It's like a B-52 song there, the love shack or something, but no, that's not what he means. Our, the aim of our charge is love that issues. Love comes out of something. What? A pure heart. It issues out of a good conscience. It issues out of a sincere faith. So what he gives us in this text is two destinations, and different teachers are going to take you to a different one. The test of a teacher is this. Where do his students end up? Where do the students end up when they're done with this person? 
Are they proud and arrogant? Are they completely off the reservation? Are they weird? Are they... Well, you could, we're all weird in the church. Let's not act like we got it together. But you know what I mean. Paul says, the aim of our charge is love. The content of our teaching then, connect these two. The content of what Timothy's supposed to teach is going to take someone to a place, to somewhere. That somewhere is where the people love God and love one another. The teaching will get you to that. Paul summed up the content of that teaching, and I want to I swerve towards the truth, if I could, but away from 1 Timothy for a second and show you where Paul summed up all his teaching. Now, Paul was a church planner, so he would go to a place that had no church, which at that time was everywhere in the world, and, he, and there were no Christians, and he would, he would gather whatever Jews he could find in the town and teach them the good news of Christ, and then some of them would believe, and most of them would beat him up or kick him out of the synagogue, and then he'd find a bunch of non-Jews, and, and he'd tell them, and then he'd get a group, and then once he had a group of people who said, yes, I believe in Jesus, he says, good, I'm going to stick around for a couple years, and night and day, house to house, I'm going to teach you. i got a lot of teaching to do. He could have never lived with our Western way of just maybe once a week and maybe a Sunday school class, because he had a lot to say, but he summed all that teaching up in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, when he said, for I decided to know nothing among you except... Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he sums up all the content of whatever it was he spent days, hours, weeks, months, years teaching in one sentence. I determined to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Now that's not saying that every time you went and heard Paul, says, what's he talking about today? Same as yesterday, he said Jesus died on the cross. Does he ever say anything else? No. Now that's not what he's saying. He's saying as he taught from Genesis to Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, and as he he taught everything through the vision, it's almost as if his glasses were Christ and him crucified. Everything comes through that. Or maybe he was, (laughs) there was a filter coming out of his mouth. Everything came through Christ and him crucified. The central focus of the Bible is Jesus. From Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end, Jesus is what the Bible is all about. It's who the Bible is all about. Once arguing with some Pharisees, Jesus, they said, well, we have Moses. Uh, you know, that's a trump card for uh, the Jews. Moses, Moses is on our side. We don't agree with you, but we like Moses. Well, he says, if you agree with Moses, then you like me because Moses wrote of me. Well, Moses is the first author of the Bible. So starting right from the beginning, the Bible is about Jesus. And Jesus, the greatest sacrifice is the cross. And the whole Bible leads to that. What is all that business about firstborn, unblemished male lambs, all that sacrifice, all that talk of sin, and how to get rid of sin that was woven into the whole Jewish history? It was all about the cross. The whole Bible led to this crescendo of love where God offered his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the whole point of the whole Bible. And and, and I don't want to just talk about that today. I want to be very clear. If you're here and you are wondering how good is God, I want to tell you he's so good that today, today, all your sins can be forgiven if you will receive the free gift of forgiveness of sins by putting your trust in Jesus who died on a cross in your place. Today. It can happen today. It happens in a moment. It happens when you trust 
Not when you do a bunch of things religiously. It's just, it's just like a marriage happens in a moment. So when you say, I do, bam, it's done. If the Bible is taught with that focus, it will produce what in those who hear? If a teacher gets up and he's, he's, every time he teaches, in any context, Sunday morning, Bible study, any context, it's always the focus is Christ and Him crucified. What will be the result in those who humbly hear? It's not magic words, not abracadabra. The, per, the receiver has to be willing to listen to God. You can, you can hear messages your whole life and get nowhere because your heart is really not open before God. No one may know it but you and God. Well, they probably do know it. They're just not letting on. What will it produce? Well, that's his point in verse 5. The aim of our charge is love. When we teach, what it produces is a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith, and out of those three things, pour love for God and love for one another. I personally live every day at war. Every day I'm at war. Every day I'm a soldier. Every day I'm in a battle. And it's not because I'm going through a rough time in my life. When I'm going through rough times, I'm at war. When I'm going through good times, I'm at war. Why? Because my flesh, my old nature, wages war with my spirit so that I, to try to prevent me from doing what I know is right. My victory is not going to come by an act of my tremendous willpower. And I want to say this especially to young Christians because I was one once. And I know I had this vision of the day when I would not have this war. Get rid of that vision. It's not the way it works. Rather, God says, fight it every day. Well, how do you fight that every day? By being perfect? No, no. I have to every day go back to the cross. Every day. Remember, this is a weak man. This is a sinner. And Jesus died for sinners like me because he loves me. That's always my strength. And, and, and if I hear that, that kind of proper teaching will keep me on the right track. At the risk of in, introducing a, something that's distracting, but I think we have to have a contrast here. There is teaching that wanders away into clever insights that's no help at all to me. And, and, I, and I thought, how can I not mention this example? Joel Olstein. people wonder, what's the problem with Joel? He's such a nice man. He is a nice man. He has really nice teeth. I mean, he gives <laughs> Donnie and Marie Osmond a run for good teeth. I, I mean, I know I'm dating myself there. He makes John Elway's teeth look not so good. I mean... He smiles. He'd be a great neighbor. But, and he reaches millions, and he reaches many of you. Some people have and will quit the church because I talk about Joel Osteen. And that's never my intention. We never want anyone to leave. We want everyone to be in the family. But how can I not? So one of his latest books is The Power of I Am. All right, all right, now that in itself is a blasphemous title, but he doesn't seem to notice. I think he's so self-deceived now, he doesn't even notice he's blaspheming by putting the name of God in his book. But I was looking at the power of I am this morning. 
Fortunately, through electronics, I have some of it right here. These are some quotes. I am prosperous. I am successful. He's teaching you to say these things every day. I am victorious. I am talented. I am creative. I am wise. I am healthy. I am in shape. I'm energetic, I'm happy, I'm positive, I'm passionate, I'm strong, I'm confident, I'm secure, I'm beautiful, I'm attractive, I'm valuable, I'm free, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, I'm anointed, I'm accepted, I'm approved, I'm prepared, I'm qualified, I'm motivated, I'm focused, I'm disciplined, I am determined, I am patient, I am kind, I am generous, I'm excellent, I'm equipped, I'm empowered, I am well able, I'm a child of the Most High God. Well, some of that may be true of me. I don't know if all of it is. Pretty certain a lot of it isn't. Here's another quote. But when you say, I am beautiful, not only does beauty, youth, and freshness start coming your way, but on the inside, your spirit also comes alive. What brings your spirit alive? Saying to yourself, I am beautiful. I feel pretty. Your self-image begins to improve and you'll start carrying yourself like you're someone special. You won't drag through the day feeling less than or inferior. You'll have that spring in your step, that you-go-girl attitude. Now, I'm not, this is not a sermon about Joel Olstein. It's a sermon about a category of teaching that is very attractive. But if you sit and think through that, who is... That, if you, you could go, there are people who are going to listen to this, say, I don't go to church, I watch it on TV. And that is in the worship, so-called worship. Who the heck are you worshiping if you're sitting around saying, I am in shape, I am wonderful, you know, I am everything. Who are we worshiping here? And in the end, if I'm so convinced I'm so wonderful, will I ever struggle to think, that when Jesus says through Paul in Philippians, have the mind of Christ in you, right? Have the mind of Christ in you, considering others more important than yourself. Well, I'm a little busy saying to myself, you go, girl. (laughs) To sum up, and we're going to leave Joel Osteen behind. I'm not going to talk about him again today. God's intention in my life and yours is that we are properly taught the things of God regularly. Not just once. I need it every day. (laughs) And that such teaching will lead us to a life of love, a pure heart, a clean conscience, and a daily trust in Jesus. God's intention for your life is that. So you can cooperate By getting your life in line with that. Putting yourself in the way of teaching. (laughs) There are teachers who help me a lot. By leading me to that destination. There are teachers within the Christian realm who are no help to me at all. Third uh, observation here is the teachers Paul is talking about know the truth. But turn away towards a wrong focus. Did I say two observations? I had three. Um, that's the third. The teachers, Paul is talking about, know the truth. In other words, these teachers, he's not saying kick them out of the church. He's not even saying they're necessarily bad people or not Christians. There are people who teach who you, there are people who will 
teach you that in order to be, uh, have any shot at salvation, you need to make a trip to Mecca and pray five times uh, a day facing the east and, and say, Allah Akbar. There's people who teach you to say, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. We could bring Tom Cruise up here and he would teach you. Another guy I like with halfway decent teeth. Uh, um, I like all his movies, I have to confess it. But he would teach you that if you want some sort of spiritual regeneration, you've got to have an alien who somehow lives in you, and there's a lot of weird stuff in that whole Scientology thing. He's not talking about those people. Those are obviously false teachers. He's talking in this text about people within the church. He's saying, charge them not to teach. He's not even saying, kick them out. I guess they will be kicked out if they don't listen eventually, but he's saying to these teachers, tell them, don't teach that. Teach this, or don't teach at all. Maybe you should be teaching, but he's not saying they're not Christians. So these teachers, Paul's talking about, know the truth, but they turn away towards a wrong focus. They swerve into trivialities. So sometimes they can be very subtle, but they're still swerving away into vain speculation. Instead of talking about the certain things that you know will help, let's speculate about who were the Nephilim and what does that really mean? And, and, and you might say, who's the Nephilim? You could look it up yourself. There's a lot of people get into that. Who was Melchizedek really? Look at what he says again, verse 6 and 7. Certain persons by swerving from these, what these truths, have wandered away. They know the truth. They've wandered away. There they go. They're walking away. Desiring to be teachers of the law without, they don't even, they want to be teachers, but they don't even understand what they're saying and things. They make confident assertions. They don't come across like, I wonder if this is true. This is true. They go, this is true. They come at you like that. It's, it's easy for me to get wrapped up in someone who looks confident in what he's saying, even if he's wrong. Sometimes I'll say, I know what this guy's saying is wrong, but I'm going to listen to him because, man, I like how he says it. You know, there's nothing like a good, confident speaker. There are, within the Christian realm, many skilled teachers who I would say are believers. I'm not saying they're cast into hell. I'm going to assume they're believers. That they're sincere, many of them. Many of them are not sincere. <laughs> they might even have good intentions, some of them. But they focus on speculation, promising special insights, special knowledge, And at this point, I'm going to go ahead and give some examples, and I'm not doing it to pick on anyone or anything in particular, but I've been talking so much in the abstract, and you might think, well, this is a first century issue. This is as current as my life. So throughout my life, there's been all kinds of, so so let me give you an example for this very current, Um, John Hagee, who I believe is a Christian and a very good preacher, wrote a book a few years ago called The Four Blood Moons, and he talked about how in history, the, the, by the way, I have no idea what a blood moon is. There is no such thing as a blood moon in the Bible. You say, well, doesn't it say the moon will turn to blood? Yes, and that's clearly a figure of speech, uh, some sort of event that happens at the very end of time where the, blood, the moon seems to turn to blood. I don't know what exactly that means. I think it'll be red, but I'm not sure. If you have enough pollution over Mexico City, it turns red right now. But... So there's no such thing as the blood moon. 
But he says, well, this is when the earth comes between the sun and this happens. And, and every time it's happened, something amazing happened. 1967, and Israel was, or 47, Israel was made. And, and in this time, there's going to be four in rapid succession. And if you read the four blood moons, you will find out God's plan for the earth. No, you won't. You will find out mere vain speculation from a man who knows better, who ought not be wasting Christians' time and money with silly speculations about the end times. Charge them, Timothy. I can't charge him. He's a big shot. I'm a little shot. I'm not even a shot. I talked to a few hundred of you who I love very much, and that's fine with me. I don't need to talk to anymore. He talks to millions. But someone's got to charge the guy. Could you knock it off? The Shroud of Turin was big when I was in college in the 80s. Some guy came to our fellowship, and he had this great um, overhead show. I was going to say slideshow, but really it was an overhead show. Some of you youngins don't know what an overhead is. Ask someone nearby. Man, he got us jazzed about it. And if you don't know, this is supposedly the burial cloth that was on Jesus. And, uh, and it has an outline of Jesus' body on it. And uh, you can see the nail imprints in his, or the thorn imprints in his head. And, and his right arm is bigger than his left arm because he was a carpenter. So it's got to be him. And, and there's carbon dating. And, and we were into the Shroud of Turin. And, and we took all this time in our fellowship meeting to talk about the Shroud of Turin. Who cares about the Shroud of Turin? I mean, archaeologically, history channel-ish. National Geographic channel-ish. Okay, that's where it goes, and isn't that cute? Interesting. It has no business in being part of worship, part of teaching, because it's mere speculation. You don't know it was on Jesus. Oh, yes, I do, and, and it'll help your faith. It won't help my faith, even if you pulled Jesus' socks out of a drawer and proved to me they're his socks. It's not going to help my faith at all. You could cut off a lock of his hair and say, this is his hair. What's that going to do for my faith? It, it, it'd be no different than if I used the Shroud of Turin as kindling for a fire in the backyard on a summer night. Now, I'm not saying I would, because if it really was, it would have value, and there's cash to be had here. That could, <laughs> I'm not an idiot. But do you see, the church runs after that stuff as if it's, uh, the Bible code was big in the 90s. So I'm going through my own life here. I don't know if you, any of you guys remember the Bible code. Somebody figured out these, these new fangle things called computers. They got this here program, you see, and you put the Bible in it, and it, it shows you that for centuries, you know, Princess Diana's name was encoded in a strange pattern in the Hebrew. You can go look it up. This is a real thing, Bible code. And uh, uh, who cares? Well, don't it prove the Bible? Uh, so the Bible has been without its own internal veracity or protected from external claims for 1,900 years without the Bible code, but now we need the Bible code. And not only that, they later found out that if you stick Tolstoy's War and Peace into this program, you also get some really cool prophetic things. And, and I, I told this illustration on Friday's service, and um, someone said afterwards that he was in a church where the Sunday sermon was on the Bible code. Well, that's exactly... And I'm not saying that pastor isn't a man of God. I'm saying he's swerving away from the truth into speculation and vain trivialities, things that mean nothing at all, and they won't get you where you need to go. 
Oh, they may be way more interesting than Pastor Mike's sermon on any given week. But that doesn't mean they're helpful. Today, a big one now is the book of Enoch. I had a lovely sister in Christ who's a brand new believer. And brand new believers should ask. When I was a brand new believer, you wouldn't believe, I let everything in. I'm amazed I'm saved. I, I was not raised in a church. I didn't have the advantage my kids have of having Christian parents, and that is an advantage. You Christian kids would think, the Christian kids sometimes say, well, I gotta be raised as a Christian, so I have a lousy testimony. Oh, so you didn't get the feeling of vomit in the back of your throat or get to ride in the back of a police car and be scared to death or, or be, <laughs> you know, I'm really sorry your life was so hard. But, <laughs> but I don't know how I got saved except for the, the simple message of the cross got through, but I listened to anything and some of the stuff I listened to so anyway, there's a new Christian. She comes in and says, Mike, what about the book of Enoch? And um, it was right in that kitchen. And I said, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ancient writing, perhaps written 100 years, 200 years before Christ, though some claim Enoch wrote it. And if Enoch wrote it, that would have been the oldest book in the history of books because that's pre-flood. And uh, I don't think he did. Uh, some think maybe a few of his statements, which were saved through oral history, found their way into that. But pretty much, it's just an interesting literature artifact from Jewish history. None of the Jews thought it was in the Bible. Before Jesus came, the Bible Jesus read didn't have it in it. The Bible we have doesn't have it in it. It should not be in the Bible. It's not an inspired book. But I'll tell you what, you go Google the book of Enoch and see how many Bible-believing Christians are just getting, oh, the book of Enoch. Oh, they're just in love with the new revelation of the end times in the book of Enoch. Look, I've lived long enough to know that I love Hal Lindsey, but he didn't know what was going to happen either. I love Tim LaHaye, good Christian man, did a lot of good Christian thing. He didn't know what was going to happen either. People who are selling you the book of Enoch, that's probably just what they're doing. They are selling you. I even saw this guy, Rick Joyner, one of my favorite pin cushions, I have to say, coming out of the Kansas City Prophets and Mike Bickle. And if you don't know these people, it's fine. You can look them up for entertainment, but if you follow them, I'll feel like I led you astray in the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. So this guy, Rick Joyner, you can find him. He has his little prophetic show on. He, he has a guy on his prophetic show. You just type it in. You can watch it today. Who works for him, who wrote a book on the book of Enoch. And he, he sits there and with, makes a confidence. He says with confidence, Christians are neglecting this important book that God wants to speak. I talked to God and God told me that he wants us. Look, I don't care what you heard. You stay with the shiny stuff. I'm going to stick and I'm going to teach with that old, boring message of Paul. And I know that will lead the people who listen to me, if they're open-hearted, to love from a pure heart and a clean conscience. And that's my aim. So then there's, there's King James only. <laughs> we get in trouble here because I'm getting close to home. All country folk know King James only. And there are a lot of, I want to be very careful, there's a lot of sincere pastors and people who believe in King James only. If you don't know what that is, look that up. But it's just one of the silliest, most anti-intellectual, dumb doctrines out there. I'm not saying they're dumb or anti-intellectual. Anyone can get fooled. And if a pastor throws that on you, uh, King James only is the belief that the only authorized word of God is the King James. And because it's worth fighting over, 
within the King James only, they fought whether it's the 1611 version, 1621 version. They actually fight with each other. But there's nothing but arrogance at the heart of that and bad scholarship. The arrogance, and I'm not saying everyone who teaches it is arrogance, I'm saying the teaching is arrogant. The arrogance is that for somehow God preferred 1611 English. That somehow a couple million white people on an island in England are the ones God said, that's the language I've been looking for. Which means Martin Luther, who changed the world, if you were God, used him to change the world through the Reformation, when he said, look, all these people can't read the Bible. All the people in Germany get priests preaching to them in Latin. By the way, the Bible wasn't written in Latin. It was written in Greek, Hebrew, and a little tiny bit of Aramaic. But they were preaching to the people in Latin. They didn't know Latin. Just the magic words of the priest were supposed to help you out. So Luther, who was a priest, said, this ain't working. Let's translate this into German. And he did. And, and Germany, revival broke out all over Germany. But then he wasn't the only one who got the ideas. Wingley and Calvin and a bunch of people we don't even know. They all started translating the Bible into their languages. And that was a century before King James stopped wetting his diaper. So we're saying, well, the best you had was the Lutheran German Bible, but fortunately we have 16. And then it's always paranoid. Well, the Catholics took the good versions and destroyed them. 1612. Look, 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 look. Love the people who hold this. Don't be unkind. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm showing you the silliness of the argument because there are people whose entire Christian life is wasted arguing. People who will be in heaven are wasting their time, their energy, and putting themselves in the flesh, not the spirit. There's no difference between that and a Jew driving you into vain genealogies. Jews love genealogies. There's many others to come, by the way. This is never going to stop. Some people just like the thrill of being the teacher. They just want to be the teacher. (laughs) I want to be the teacher of the law. You know what you're talking about? No, but it sure looks fun. They want to bring out the cool stuff that no one else is bringing out. I've got nothing new for you. If you were hoping for something new, let me disappoint you now. They want to be like Simon Magus, this guy in the, in the book of Acts, who saw the apostles preaching the word and seeing the power of the miracles the Holy Spirit was doing to confirm the word. And he offered to pay them to get the power of the Holy Spirit. To which Peter said, and this was after he was baptized. Peter looked and said, dude, that's in the vernacular, that's my translation. Dude, you're going to be eating toast in hell if you don't repent. He said, you better hope God grants you repentance because you're wicked. Well, that's a lot of people like Simon Magus. They, they want to stay within the Christian realm, but they're going to lead you the wrong direction. Or as Paul said it, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Not everyone who confidently teaches within the Christian realm is teaching what he ought to teach. So what should we do with this instruction from Paul? I think there's not going to be a lot of application needed here. You probably can figure it out. You're smart. But I'll suggest two questions that every Christian should ask and answer. One, who are the teachers that I am collecting for myself? And what am I teaching others? 
It's really a two-part question, but it's one question with two parts. Who are the teachers I am collecting for myself? Because ultimately, the church is a free place. You, you're, there's not a dictatorship. No one forces you to do anything. You will learn from whom you choose to learn from. And back in the day, it was easier to isolate all the available teachers. Today, you have so many teachers to choose from. You have churches. How many can you drive to in a, on a Sunday reasonably? A hundred? Within 20 miles? Uh, then you have all the radio, all the television, and then now there's the internet and podcasting. You can listen to people from all over the world, anywhere in the world. And, and, and who, which teachers are you collecting? I've had people, and this is always discouraging. I said I was going to bring up Joel again, but this illustration, I can't resist. <laughs> you come up and say, Mike, Pastor Mike, that was a great sermon. Oh, thank you. That was just awesome. The way you, oh man, those truths are, they just, they're just telling me how wonderful I am. And then they go, man, Joel Olstein says something like that. I'm like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I was feeling good about myself a minute ago. <laughs> Who are you collecting? And, 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 and with that, whatever you learn, you teach. You're going to live it and you're going to teach it. If it goes into your head, it becomes your habit of action, talking, thinking. And you're going to teach. You're going to teach Overtly, that means on purpose, or covertly. So you're responsible to learn the right stuff so you don't mess other people up. Um, be careful who you learn from, because what you learn is what you teach. It, 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 you might say, well, who should I learn from? I'm not going to give you a list. I can tell you who. I listen to probably more sermons than most people in here. I won't say all, probably most, every week, and not as an academic exercise. I do it because I love the Word of God. I need the Word of God. I know that I fight in a battle every day. I want teachers to help me by pointing out what the old gospel says because you'll never come to the end of the truths of the Bible. Anyone says, well, I read the Bible before. and I, if, if you said that, you haven't read it. Those 66 books are always fresh. They, they will teach you. They'll teach the open-hearted person jewels till they die. You can live to be 10,000 and you wouldn't come to the end of the Bible and what the Holy Spirit will show you in it. I need that. I, so some people ask, well, who do you listen to? Well, right, I listen to all kinds of people. Right now, I've been listening a lot, and this is for those who will ask, I'll just tell you now, to a lot of the Just the Gospel Coalition podcasts. If you're a podcaster, that's just great. You get new messages every day, and I like almost every one of them. If you're looking for a pastor or two online, you'll never go wrong with John Piper. He will lead you the right way. And if you want another that I've been really listening to a lot lately is Alistair Begg. And I just like his Scottish accent. But he's also a very good teacher. But there's, a, there's many others. You know, we're, we, we take this show and we, we, we film it. And then we, we um, there, there's a local TV network that most of us don't even get. I don't get it at my house, but some of us do. And we put the whole ser- service on the television network. Because it costs us nothing. They want a little donation once a year. So, okay, we'll put the word anywhere. But that is not an endorsement of that television station. In fact... This may get me kicked off, but might as well tell the truth. There's a lot of people you ought not listen to on, on Cornerstone Television. <laughs> They're just weird. And you've got to grow up till you can discern that for yourself. So watch who you 
listened to. Not everyone is good or helpful. They may all be interesting. Second, you have to ask yourself this question. Do I know the gospel well enough to know when a teaching leads to foolish speculation or vain speculation or to love? Do I know the gospel? Some might say, well, pastor, don't got to worry about me listening to the wrong teachers. I don't listen to anybody. (laughs) Heck, I sleep through half of what you got to say. Well, in that case, there's a whole other error you got to work on. But most of you are listening to somebody. Do you know enough? How do I get to know enough? Start with reading your own Bible. And, and I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty because normally the read the Bible part of the sermon is where you're supposed to feel guilty because you don't get up at five and read exactly this and boom, 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 and I'm not a good Christian because I don't read enough. I ain't talking about that. Don't live like that. You'll fail. I'm just saying loving that word. I'm loving, I, it's blowing me away. I hear for the last two weeks, I've, I've gotten to hear First Timothy read before I preached Three times last week, Friday, twice Sunday, right? As I stand here now, I'm up to two times. Every time I hear it read, I'm like, wow, I didn't know that was in there. And it's only, just read the Bible. Get the app, put it on your car. Listen to the Bible. If you approach it, what if I run into questions? Ask God. People new to the Bible are often intimidated. I don't know where to read. I don't know where to start. Start anywhere. Start at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, and the beginning of the Old Testament, Genesis. Just start. And, and, and skip. Skip around. Pick another book. What if I don't understand it? Ask God. And then read. and let Because His Holy Spirit will illumine that word and talk to you. But if you're like, oh, still, if you still have a question... Ask your campus pastor. Ask a reliable person in your life. Read good books. Read good books recommended by reliable teachers. Get audible. Some of you go, I don't like to read. You can listen to it. They read to you. You know, we have a a bookstore here. Why do we have it? It makes no money. In fact, it's a loss. We lose money. And I sometimes will be talking to someone, I think they need this book, and I'll hand it to them. Everything's sold below cost. It's hard to make money. We're not doing it for money. Why are we doing it? Because if you go to the Christian bookstore, any old garbage, I hate, I wish that wasn't true. There's a lot of good stuff in the Christian bookstore and a lot of nice plaques and plates with verses on them. If you need that. Statues. But there's a lot of really weird books there. So we, we try to say, well, here's some good books. Read these. Here's, the, here's the, big, the big secret. Jesus will guide your heart if you're humble and willing to obey, but he will not guide your heart if you're not. There's a lot of people who read the Bible a lot, and they're arrogant and pushy and mean and jerks. You say, what went wrong there? It's not the knowledge, it's the heart that's wrong. I'm gonna give you the secret verse to hold on to. This is the secret knowledge that I got. Special. I found it in John 7, 17, though. Jesus said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Jesus Jesus puts that principle out so you know it's true. 
If anyone's will, if your desire is to do, in other words, if you're saying, I don't know what the truth is, but if I find out the truth, I will do it because I want to do whatever God wants, then when you look, you will find. He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own. When you read the Bible, if you want to do what God wants, if you go in saying, I'll read it, but if he says this, I ain't doing it. People have a way of doubting the word of God, being the word of God, when they want to sin. There's a connection. Well, I ain't sure it's true. There are other religions. Okay. Which one of your favorite sins is it you don't want to give up? Why don't we just talk about that and get it over with? It's, that's really the truth. And can we just, just lay this out there? You unmarried Christians, stop sleeping with other people. That's one of the favorite sins that people think, wow, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. Stop it, and the Bible will start to talk to you. You'll stop doubting so much. You know, if you want to drink, gamble, steal, and fight, yeah, the Bible's not going to make much sense to you. Anyway, I'm going to conclude. I didn't mean to go into law there. You're not going to be able to overcome those sins without the grace of Christ who died for your sins and the power of the Holy Spirit. But uh, more connecting that to how do I hear the Bible? You have to want to do it. That's how it works. The aim of our charge, says Paul, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And I just want to end with this. Love is not a private event. That means the aim of our teaching is not the intellect. One of the diff- you ever seen those really uh, smart Christians who know everything about um, the doctrines of grace and are willing to kill you with them? The error is you think that the aim of the instruction is to become educated. It isn't. It's relational. Love always leads to relationship. We're to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. This verse is so important, verse 5, that I'm going to come back to this in my next sermon on Timothy. I was not, I'm not, there's just too much to think about there. I wasn't ready to just throw something into the stew. But I do want to let, just make sure I point out that knowledge and learning and doctrine are not the goal of teaching. There's no other setting where that's true. You go to high school and they, the goal of the math class is that you learn the data, okay? Don't go in there and say, pastor said, I'm not here to, to learn this stuff. <laughs> this is why you can go to Sunday school class, learn everything, and come out nasty because you thought the goal was you getting smart. The Bible's clear. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The goal of, but there is no love. You don't separate the heart and the head. You've got to have the teaching if you're going to get to the clean conscience that gets you the love. So the teaching matters, but it's a means, not an end. Do you see? Okay. I just want to make sure I got that point across. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.